may be dismissed. You'd like to turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in a couple passages today. We're ending our little mini-series on what is the church should be, especially as it pertains to fellowship. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is where we find the first passage. Well, it happened again. It was a couple nights ago, Friday night, I get to bed eh, pretty pretty early, around 11 o'clock. We had the privilege of having our couple grandkids over, and um, they're always a joy. Slept over. The one made a noise around 4 o'clock, which got me up. And then from 4 o'clock to about 6.30, I was in and out. (laughs) You know, what do you mean, in and out? Not quite sleep. She had gone to bed. (laughs) Once you cover her up, she's good. But now, I'm up. And 6.30 arrives, and it's men's prayer. And I'm like thinking to myself, oh, I don't really want to go. I'm still tired. So I get up and get ready. Uh, picked up Eric. It was my turn to bring donuts and uh, mango, so I went over to Wegmans. And uh, by the time I got there, it was... Uh, uh, Probably five minutes late, I guess. It was, what do you mean ten minutes? Oh, Dale's my clock keeper. <laughs> Are any of you clock watchers? So I walk in, there was already eight or nine guys there. Um, had a few minutes of talk. Had a great time of in the Word. Talking about uh, Hebrews 12. And uh, had a good time of prayer. In fact, I think we stayed late. I don't think we ended up leaving. Usually we try to get out of there by 9 so Dale can do his thing, but I think it was like 9.30. And I'll tell you what, it was a tremendous blessing. It was exactly what we were talking about last week as far as fellowship. And I was thinking on the way home, I was thanking the Lord, and, and it's like, it happened again. It happened again. I, I didn't really necessarily want to go, but then I was with the brothers in the Lord, and they encouraged me, and I trust I encouraged them, and it was all worth it. And it happened again. And that's what we're talking about when it comes to this fellowship. It's not always easy, but it ends in a great blessing. It just ends in a tremendous blessing. You find the word in verse 42, and they continue, this is the first century church, and they continued in two things that we see here, in apostles' doctrine, the teaching, and in fellowship. By the way, those two work together. As we learn, we fellowship, the community, the partnership, the sharing that happens. And the learning should follow into fellowship. Otherwise, I was thinking about this, otherwise you're like a sponge. You just soak it in, but you're not giving it out. Or think about the one place on earth where the water goes into the sea and it doesn't go out. There's no exit for it. What is that sea called? Dead Sea, right? And sometimes I think with Christians, it's like that. We're almost like, it's almost like we're Dead Sea type Christians. It comes in, stuff is coming in, but we're not giving it out. But again, when you get a fresh flowing river, stream, whatever you call it, then, then again, there's vitality there. There's life. So the first thing we looked at last week was the meaning of authentic fellowship. 
the meaning of this word koinonia. Now again, that word koinonia, fellowship, is translated a, different, a lot of different ways in the Bible. It can be translated communion or participation or partnership. But the essence, this is the essence, this is what you really have to catch, is that it's sharing. When we say fellowship, the essence of it is sharing. Sharing our lives. In fact, the one Bible version, instead of uh, using the word fellowship, it, is, it translates that word koinonia as to share the common life. I really like that. To share the common life. That's what fellowship is. I'm sharing the common life that I have in Jesus. Colossians 3 says that, that the life we have is his life. When he saved us, he gave us his life. And now I'm called to share, and you're called to share that common life with one another. It keeps our lives vibrant. keeps it full. It keeps it powerful. By the way, I'm not saying without problems. Because as you encounter other people, there's going to be situations where there are irritation and frustration and problems that you have to deal with. Because anytime you're in, in close proximity to another sinner... <laughs> There might be an issue there. But you know what? It's through those times that you really see the Lord put love in your heart, patience in your heart, kindness and gentleness in your heart towards God's other children. Again, I think of a, as a father, one of the greatest things, if you want to bless me, treat my kids right. I, I think of a number of the kids in the youth group over the years, and, you know, we'll have them over to the house and, and I watched some of them, especially when my kids were younger. So my kids, let's say, are 10 or 12 or 14 years old. And you have some of these other kids from other, you know, from the church, and they're in, in college years. And I watch, and this is what I'm watching for. Do they treat them with value? And by the way, most always they do. You know, and, and I'll even, I've even told some of the, some of the kids, um, you know, uh, from other families that have come and said, you know, I really appreciate how you treat my children. You don't like, you know, sometimes college kids would look at like a 12-year-old like a fly. <laughs> Bing, get away from me. <laughs> but no, they, no, no. And now why do I say all that? Because when it comes to the father and has brought his, you know, us into his family, he wants us to, this, think how, how, how much more he wants us to get along in love. So the meaning of this word fellowship or community is to share what we have with one another of the common life. Okay, now we say, what do you share? Well, you share spiritual gifts. That's why if, you have, if you're not serving somehow, some way, and I don't mean necessarily in the, the confines of this building. I don't even like to call it the church. We're the church, but this building called out for all. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to use your spiritual gift here, but if you're not using your spiritual gift at all, then you're being selfish because it was done for, as Corinthians says, the common good. We need to, so we can share our, our spiritual gifts. We can share our wealth. We can share our homes. By the way, when we share our homes with another believer, what is that called? Fellowship, hospitality. Okay, they kind of work together, fellowship and hospitality. Um, you can share your joys and sorrows. We should weep with those who weep and, and rejoice with those who rejoice. By the way, it's, it's good to hear. Uh, we need to be vulnerable enough to be able to share our hurts. Why? Because that's also an encouragement to one another. How? Oh, do we sadistic? No. It's because we say, you know what? You're in need. I'm in need. And we need to pray for each other. So we share our joys and, 
and sorrows. We share our spiritual wisdom, what we've been learning. By the way, all this kind of plays out in the one another's. It's when our lives are rubbing up against each other. I like my life to rub up against other believers. Okay, but it takes time to do that. You know, the simple reality, uh, Bob was talking about busy. One of the things that really destroys fellowship is just busyness. Busy, busy, you've got to keep moving, got to keep moving. Oh, we're so busy. And, we're, and yet we're not growing sometimes because we're too busy. See, again, as one man said, fellowship is vital to the Christian spiritual health. Absolutely vital to you as an individual. But then he goes on and he says, and is central to the church's true life. So you can have all these other activities, but if true fellowship is not happening among believers, then their individual lives will not be vital, (laughs) powerful, and the church itself will be actually uh, anemic, as it were. It won't be strong, because it's it's actually central to the church's true life. We need it. We absolutely need it. And you see it, by the way, in in Acts chapter 2, you go to verse 44. And it says, now all who believed, all who believed were together and had all things in common. All. So this, this idea that what was happening in that church, it was affecting everyone, all. There was no distinction, there was no discrimination. It had to do with Galatians 3, where it talks, you know, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. What? The last part of Galatians 3. You are all one in Christ. Yep. Aren't you glad that when you got saved, you were placed in the body? And and what you are on this earth, as far as whether you're a female or a male, or whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whatever, those distinctions are gone in the body. And we should treat each other like that. You know, here we, most of us are probably middle class. But can you imagine that in like the first century? When you had a, a rich land over here, uh, landowner here, and right beside him was a slave, and they were one in Christ. And that slave owner should be treating that slave with major respect. You see Philemon, that whole issue there. But the idea is we're all one, or, or a woman. You know, a woman was considered like dirt back then. But you know what? No, nope. total respect, because there's equality in Christ. So again, the first thing is all believers. The second thing we see in verse 44 is there were together. They were together. They had a deep sense of spiritual unity together in this common faith. And verse 45 says, And they shared whatever they had whenever anyone had need. See, it wasn't just about getting together. They were looking to meet needs. Now, in the context, it's, it's physical, financial need. But again, we should be looking out. Our antenna should be up. How can I help my brothers and sisters in the Lord? How can I be a, a blessing to them? In fact, this would be the question of the first century church. How can I serve the other members and contribute to the good of the church as a whole? That's the question they were asking. You know, that puts us as a servant. That puts us in the place of humility. You know, how can I meet, how can I help meet Lee's needs? Uh, How can I help meet Ben's needs? How can I be a blessing to Lori? Uh, How can I be a blessing to Todd? Now again, can I, no, but can you imagine if we all were doing that? See, we weren't here just straggling in, you know, boy, it was a rough night last night, just trying to get here with the kids. I know that's, I know that's reality for, but, nah, we gotta plan a little better, maybe on Saturday night, they don't, you know, don't let them stay up till 11. But, but then, you come here with the purpose. I wanna learn, I wanna worship, I wanna grow, but part of that agenda is, how can I be a blessing? 
How can I be a blessing? Maybe it's a word I say. Maybe it's a, a, a hug, if it's appropriate. You know, Maybe it's asking the question, how are things going, and really wanting to know. And when you find out, you say, if it's a negative, hey, you know what? You're on my prayer list. I'll be praying for you. In fact, I'll even t- In fact, I think I'll call you on Wednesday. Could I do that? Boy, what if, as a body, we did that? And I know many of you do. But that, that's how... See, that's the... When you're talking about sharing, you know, we're talking about saying, you know what? I, I, I have something to give. And by the way, you have something to give, so I have also something I need to receive. And it, it might be the Word, uh, an encouraging Word. It might be an exhortation. Sometimes you have to get pointed right in the person's face. In fact, sometimes they're not even here. They're part of the body of believers in this area, but they're not here. They're missing. And, and you have to look at them and say, you know what? This is important. It's important to be in fellowship. It's important to be uh, you know, running the race well. So again, there, the aspects are we can give. You know, We share something with someone else that we have. Everything from our speech to the hug to the spiritual gifts to the one anothering to perhaps finances, whatever it is that they need. But then sometimes, or many times, it's also reciprocal and we need. Like I said, men's prayer. I just love, I love taking a passage and then I hear this person and that person. You know what? When they're talking, it's like, oh, that's right. Oh, and sometimes it's new information and sometimes it's just an old truth that needs to be cemented in my mind. And it's excellent. And so there was a giving and receiving. Now, if I was this type of man, well, let's face it, I went to Bible college and I'm the pastor, been here for a long time, and let me just give you the word. I don't really need you. You need me desperately. No, 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 no. I'm afraid sometimes people in ministry think that way. No, 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 no. We are desperately in need of the Lord and of His people. (laughs) And we need to work together like that. I I trust that you're praying for one or more of the elders here. You know, they are desperate in need of you. They're godly men, but you know, I believe that Satan has a target on our head first. Wouldn't it be sad if one of us cheated on our wives or one of us was caught stealing or one of us just was a question mark about our character? Caught, you know, whatever sin it might be. So why am I saying that? Because, yeah, God has called us, and I believe called us into leadership, but we are in desperate need of, of being lifted before the throne of grace. See, what I'm saying is this, because I need you and you need me, that's, that's humility. That's humility right there. We need each other, and we can't grow without each other. Therefore, there has to be not only humility, but unity. I need you, and I can't grow without you. So that's humility and unity. I need you. Let's work together. And I trust that you feel the same way. And and there's a lot of obstacles to that, to fellowship. You know, thinking better than yourself, and pride, and maybe just ignorance. Maybe, because I know a, a couple weeks ago, I knew fellowship was very important, but it has been really hitting me in the last few weeks how critical it is. And maybe in your mind you're saying, well, I guess I didn't really realize. I felt like, you know, if I just came to church and kind of, you know, interacted, everything's fine. Well, that's a self-sufficient attitude. That's an ignorant attitude, actually. So sometimes that is an obstacle to fellowship. Uh, the one I mentioned last week that is huge is bitterness. Huge. Maybe you don't even recognize it, but the idea is this. Those Christians hurt me. Something happened, 
or those Christians disappointed me. Maybe it's just that simple. And I don't want to be that vulnerable and transparent again. So rather than true fellowship happening, there's almost like an onlooker. Well, I'll peer in, but I'm not going to let my life, my inner life, rub against yours because I want to be protected. You ever be like that? You know anybody like that? Again, if you're around Christians long enough, sinners, you're going to be hurt. That's part of the process. That's part of God's design. Because you go to 1 Corinthians, and I've got to have enough patience, and I love Donna. But there's times that she might not always say the right thing to me. She's, she's sometimes she's a little bit like sandpaper at times. <laughs> no. <laughs> True story. True story. I don't, no. Um, no, I... <laughs> No, I mean that in the good sense. I really do mean that in the good sense. She has asked some pertinent, penetrating questions at times. It's like, okay. No, but that's right. That's good, right? If I care about you, I care enough to ask the real important question. And if I ask you, how are you doing? I really want to know. And if, you, and if I'm just walking by you, you stop me. Wait, you really want to know? If you don't, don't ask the question. Oh, now you just rebuked me again. Okay. So, that's second thing is dimensions of authentic fellowship. Remember, it starts with God. They have perfect fellowship within the Trinity. But because of that, we have vertical fellowship with Him. See, we're made in God's image. And now that we're brought into the family of God, as we have fellowship with Him, we can have fellowship with one another. So that's all the different types of dimensions of fellowship. There's the Godhead, there's fellowship that we have with God, there's fellowship that we have with one another. By the way, as our fellowship with each other grows, then our fellowship with God grows too. So in one sense, our, fellow, it's, our fellowship with one another starts with our fellowship with God, but then it also increases as we fellowship with one another, our fellowship with God. I like how J.I. Packer, I think I read this last week, it says this. He wrote this, it's very profound. Fellowship with God, then, is the source from which fellowship among, among Christians springs. I can't have fellowship with you unless I first have fellowship with God. But, also, God has made us in such a way that our fellowship with himself is fed by our fellowship with fellow Christians and requires to be so fed constantly for its own deepening and enrichment. So, I have fellowship with God, therefore I can have fellowship with you. I have fellowship with you more, now I keep having, and my fellowship with God becomes more intense, deepens. So we've looked at the meaning and the dimensions. Let's go on to the ingredients. The ingredients of authentic fellowship. I think that was a fill-in, actually. I think I only had one fill-in this week. I get lazy to, you know, delete. Um, the ingredients, the components, the elements, whatever you want to say. Or, or say it this way, the environment. Where does true fellowship really grow? You know, we we're all have gardens, you know, and, oh, you can see that fall is coming, right? The tomatoes are like this. Some of us have blight on our tomatoes. Oh, brother, you know, all that work and... But the point is, is this, when we started those plants out a few months ago, we were trying, you know, we got the, the, the soil prepared and, you know, and then you planted the tomato and then you watered it and a little bit of fertilizer. You want to make sure that no, no shade, you know, like you're trying to get it out. You know, if you have a tree, cut the tree down for the sake of the tomato. No, I, I don't know. 
After a while, it starts to spring. You put your uh, wood, wood things up. How many of them use those wood things around your tomato plants? Keep in mind. Anybody? Yeah, I forgot. Mine were just laying down. <laughs> but the point is, is what? You're trying to create an environment to come out with that tomato that looks like, you know, the tomato that's on the, on the package, you know, the package that you, you know, bought the, you know, and it, this really plump red tomato. You're trying to create the environment so it grows like that. Well, let's look at some uh, components, some ingredients as far as uh, how can we really have a, a thriving church that's, that's thriving in fellowship, okay? And these are five different uh, components of it. The first is love and commitment. Love and commitment. In the strictest sense, love, and by the way, the word love, I'm, I'm referring to agape, Love, okay, agape love. Involves seeking the greatest good of the other person. That's what I mean when I'm saying love. The greatest good of the other person. I'm going to be looking for the greatest good for you. How can I, how can I share so that it helps you to the greatest good? It, you know, that's one of the, the main components, if not the main component. In fact, I would say it is the main component. Love. If you really want to have deep fellowship in our body here, we have to have love. And I'm going to add the word commitment. Sometimes people have love, but then it seems like they're fair-weather friends. You know, you'll know your friends when you have to go through the trial and they stick with you, right? So we want to have love and commitment. Jesus, on the night before he died, he, he sat down with his disciples. And this is what he said to them in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you what? Love one another. Now, that must be important. Because then he says, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all, uh, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I'm repeating it three times. Hey, you want to be marked as a Christian? Do you want to make an impact on the world? Love your sisters and your brothers in Christ. Love one another. That's the mark. That's the mark of the true Christian. Love one another. By the way, this love we find over in 1 Corinthians 13 is active. It's in the verb form. It's, in fact, 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage, as we would say it, all those characteristics are all in verb, are all verbs. You gotta love by being patient. You gotta love by being kind. You gotta love by not holding something against the other person. You have to love by not being rude. You have to love by not being self-seeking, you know, and on and on. So it's not just say, you know, I just love you, Bill, so much. No, I gotta show him. If I don't show him somehow, maybe it's praying for him. Maybe it's being a good example before him. He's a fellow elder. You know, maybe it's, uh, you know, getting together and just saying, okay, how, how's your shepherding going? Let me tell you about mine. Somehow there's got to be connection. Now, again, there's a lot of people, and, you know, I can only meet so many, and we all have to do... But the point is, I can't just say it with, like, a love in my heart and say, yeah, I really do love you. No, no, it's got to be active. Got to be active. I would also say this, love is sacrificial. Because it's concerned for someone else, I'm willing to give it, I'm willing to sacrifice. Now, you put those together, commitment, sacrifice... It's got to be driven by the Holy Spirit. It's not something that can just be generated from within because I'll lose it. See, this is the thing. I will love only for a certain amount of time. But if it's generated by the Spirit of God, He will keep pushing us. He will keep pushing us to stay committed. 
to be sacrificial, to be active and not passive. You've got to do something. Um, now again, you say, well, how do I love? Well, it might, be, it might be given a reproof. It might be given that word of encouragement or instruction. It might be the embrace. Again, I say appropriate. I, I don't hug girls. Sometimes, you know, someone will come. And if Donna comes to me and goes like this, okay, I'll, you know, you could be my mother, right? Okay. No, I say that seriously. I, I was talking to a person recently within last month, and they said, you know, I really have a problem because this person is like hugging people of the opposite sex, not in our church. They were getting counsel from me. And I said, no, that's a problem. But, well, Brent Reynolds helped me with this. Where is Brent? Is he still, anyways, you know, he'd always come up and give me a bear hug. Um, yeah. So, anyways, it might be that. Again, it says this. This is what love says, that you are valuable. And I am committed to this relationship. You are valuable. And even if I find some things about you that I didn't know before that were negative, you are valuable, and I'm staying in this relationship. You're not going to get away from me. In fact, you might even run, and I'll run after you. Now, if you run far enough, well, maybe I can't find you. That sometimes happens. But again, it requires tolerance and understanding and patience. Let's take the other side. If I'm really going to love, if you were going to love, it, it means that I'm not going to be judgmental and disinterested. You know, even prejudiced. Sometimes people are prejudiced. Well, you know, I don't want to deal with them. No, no. Love says, I am committed to you. So that's the first major ingredient. We really want to have biblical fellowship, biblical koinonia, love and commitment. The second is humility and service. Humility. Now, humility says it's not about me. But, it's, but I put these together. Humility with service. Because again, I said love is active. So it's not just humility. It's not about me, but it's service. It's saying, you know, serving someone. That's why Galatians chapter 5 says, serve one another, what? In love. So these build on each other. If I have love and I have commitment, then I'm going to have humility with service. In fact, Jesus himself, remember, since we're in John 13, you'd probably turn when we looked at the love. But in John 13, verse 14, it says this, If I then, your Lord, and, and he's using the word master there, kurios, and teacher, if I'm your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, again, I, I don't believe that that's a, an ordinance where we have to have you know, a foot washing all the time. We've had it only a couple times here, I believe. But the point is this, in that day and age, it was the lowest slave that washed the feet. And the idea that what Jesus was saying to the disciples was, don't try to become the greatest, become the least. Look at yourself as a servant, look at yourself as a slave, be willing to meet the other person's need. That's what's going to show you're one of mine. See, he was committed to service. We need to be. In fact, if you go to Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus said this, Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant, your diakonos. We have deacons, that's where the word comes from. Let him be your servant. You want to be great, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your doulos. He uses a different word, slave. He's saying, listen, be first, you be the slave. You know, it's easy to read these verses. It is very difficult to do them, isn't it? You know needs. There's needs out there that you know that you could meet. Sometimes you know what we say, well, I don't know how they're going to accept it. Maybe they'll reject it. Maybe they won't want to hear that word that I want to give them. 
Wait, you're just a slave. You're just a servant. Sometimes we have to say hard truths in a loving way. And sometimes we back away because maybe they won't accept it. Wait, just do it. If you really believe God wants you to, you're just a slave. Verse 28. Just as the Son of Man... By the way, that that phrase, Son of Man, was a favorite uh, title that Jesus would refer to him as uh, during the incarnation. Jesus referred to himself many times as the Son of Man. He loved that title. It's that title of God coming in flesh to serve mankind. Okay? But the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, diakoni, and to give his life a ransom for many. See, greatness is seen in our willingness to serve others. That's where greatness is seen, in our willingness to serve others. It challenges us. By the way, we like to be in our, our little comfort zone, right? Don't you love comfort zone? Get up every week, you know, Monday I do this, Tuesday I do this, don't break my schedule, you know, stay out of, you know, don't make it too difficult. God wants us to get out of the comfort zone. Some of you have spiritual gifts that's going to get you out of the comfort zone. See, some of you have spiritual gifts that you should be using, but because of the comfort zone, oh, I don't want to. Hey, you're just a servant. You're just a slave. Uh, by the way, the master gave you that spiritual gift. That's Ephesians 4. And he wants you to use it for your brothers and sisters. And if you don't, what you're going to be what? Consider, yeah, I'm getting too excited. Uh, you're going to get what? You're going to be evaluated on the day of judgment and found that you weren't faithful what God gave, right? No, use your spiritual gift. Use your hands. You know, sometimes it's a helping hand. Sometimes it's a listening ear. Sometimes it's caring speech. I, I've told you this many times, but it was a huge impact on me. Uh, it was back in, a, I think it was January, and, and I was stressed out big time. And, and, I, and I was so stressed out that I thought I was having a heart attack. And my wife was gone, because she went to Florida that year for like 21 days. Left me by myself. So nobody was around. And by the way, I was trying to save money, so I had turned the, the, the house down to like 52 degrees <laughs> and turned off all the lights. It was dark and dingy and cold in January. And I thought I was having a heart attack. There were some other complications in my life at the time, which I won't get into. But the point was, I ended up in St. James with these things on my... And I really thought I was. And the doctor came out and said, well, no, the enzymes show fine. You're, you didn't have a heart attack. You're just stressed out or something like that. You know, whatever he told me. I can't remember. I was like, whoo, And as I was leaving, Bill Baker walked in the door. And I think we went up to Chinese afterwards, didn't it? <laughs> I figure salt and MSG would do my heart good. <laughs> right there. He was like, if you want to say the band of brothers, he was my friend for the rest of my life. Right there. Because he had my back when I needed it most. I mean, you'd say, now I look back and almost laugh. Like, what? No, no, I wasn't there then, though. I was in deep, deep despair. I was like, oh, I don't know. So I needed a friend, and he was there. And by the way, if he had called me three days later, it would have been nice, but it wouldn't have been like showing right there. There's a, there's a time element when it comes to crises. See, humility and service. Humble enough to say, you know what? 
I want to serve someone else. How about C? Concern and restoration. Concern and restoration. Let me give you an example of both those words. Concern might be in 1 John 3.17. It says this, Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. Okay, so you have this world's goods. You have what it takes to meet a need. You see a brother in need, but you shut your heart. By the way, it's interesting. John says you're shutting your heart. In other words, there's no pity in your heart for this person. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us love in word, uh, not, let us not love in word or in tongue, in other words, only, but in deed and in truth. Concern says, I'm looking, my antenna's up, I'm trying to see what I have that can meet your need. Now, this was a financial, but it's in all the different areas. Let's take the word restoration. I like how one commentator put this, the blundering believer. (laughs) The blundering believer is one who has gone off the path, gone off the path of walking with the Lord. And I think you can see uh, our proper response in Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, verse 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, by the way, He's overtaken. The idea is he didn't, he didn't go full board into sin. Sin itself had overtaken him. So he's overtaken in a sin. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. The word restore means to, it was used of a bone that was broken. You ever have a broken bone? And they reset it. They put it in a cast. What's the purpose of all that? To get it to be useful again. To bring it back to its normal use. And that word restore means that. Bring your brother back to normal use because now that he's under being pursued by this trespass, he's not being useful to God. You've got to bring him back to usefulness. So he's saying, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit, what, of haughtiness? And I can't believe you did that. And maybe we should just throw a little bit more dirt on the hole, you know, that you found yourself in. You deserve that. No, 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 no. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. What? Considering yourself. Lest you also be tempted. That someday you may be in that same hole. And maybe the person you rescued first will be the one that helps you. Hey, do you want to get out of the hole? You know, you throw, you throw the, the rope down. By the way, if they throw it back out, you throw it back down again. No, no, you need to get out of that hole. No, I don't need to get out of the hole. No, you need to get out of the hole. See, bear one another's burdens. So when believers struggle, when they wander, when they fail to do something that God wants, we have our antennas up enough to know what we need to help. See, care and restoration. Fellowship says this. It's not just about walking with you in the good times. I'm willing to walk with you in the hard times. I'm willing to walk with you when I need to pursue you. And I need to confront you and help you to see what God wants you to do. Because why? I, am, I have love towards you and I am committed to this relationship, not just when it's easy. Boy, that's when fellowship really flourishes. And sometimes we have to even share our own needs. And when we're vulnerable, because then people can rescue us. Sometimes, we, you know, again, we, we want to be vulnerable. So concern and restoration. How about the fourth ingredient? Confession and forgiveness. Go to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. 
Here's a case where, you know, Matthew 18, that's when a, a sinner's, uh, a believer is sinning against you and you go to confront. This is where you, as the believer, are the offender. Okay? You've hurt another believer. By the way, in the context, Jesus is talking about murder and... But then he says, well, even if you say to your brother, verse uh, 22, Raka, you fool! You know, you've hurt. You've hurt. You've cut the other believer in a, um, in a spiritual sense. You have been the offender. Now let's see what happens here. Confession and forgiveness. How should we treat our brothers and sisters? Therefore... If you've been the one that hurt, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember, there's a thought that goes through your mind, that your brother has something against you, what? Well, you've offended him. This is very important for us, guys. We can't have fellowship if this is not happening in our lives. Look at verse 24. Leave your gift. Stop. Right there. It's in in the heiress. It means a, a punctiliar. Leave. Don't keep going. Don't try to keep worshiping. Leave your gift. There before the altar. Go your way. That's an imperative. That's a command. By the way, leave your gift as a command. Go your way as a command. First be reconciled to your brother. That's a command. And then come and offer your gift. That's a command. Every one of those are a command. What's the procedure here? God says this. Stop. (laughs) Okay. No, 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 no. I know that so-and-so, I hurt so-and-so as my brother, but you don't understand, they hurt me too, but I know that I've offended them, but I'm just going to go on with life. No, God says stop. First we are to stop worshiping. Doesn't that sound odd? Yeah, stop worshiping. Don't try to sing praises to Jesus if you know that you have offended and hurt another brother. You have sinned against them. It's just stop. Your mouth, don't move it. God would say, don't move it. Don't take communion. Don't pretend that everything is okay. What's the second thing? We are to seek out the individual we've hurt. Right? Go. That's the third. We are to initiate a process of healing. In other words, confession. Reconciliation. First be reconciled. We confess our sins to God. He's faithful to forgive us. If we confess to one another, you should also. And what is forgiveness? To release. Express your grief over the sin. Ask for forgiveness. I often tell people, you need to actually ask for it. I am asking that you would release me from the offense that I did against you. And then, return to worshiping the Lord. But don't worship first. See, sometimes we just think, well, we'll just keep going on. Jesus said, no, no. And some people don't get it. That's why he adds verse 25. Agree with your adversary quickly. Ooh, the person you offended. While you are on your way with him, last your adversary. Now, by the way, these are this is a, 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 a court terms. Court terms. Think of a, a person who has been brought before the court. If your adversary delivers you to the judge, and the judge hands you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Now, that's court terms. Assuredly, I say to you, verse twenty-six: You will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. What are you talking about? Okay, I like how Chuck Swindoll put it. Summarizing verses 25 and 26, this is what Chuck Swindoll said. Quote, If we refuse to seek reconciliation with the one who has been offended, you know, the one we offended, by us, then we will experience a prison-like existence. I think some Christians are in a prison-like existence. It's like they've been handed over to the judge, they're in the prison, and they're unwilling to pay the last cent. What do you do that? Well, just to repent. And they're willing, unwilling to pursue and repent, 
and ask for forgiveness, and therefore they just keep marching down the path saying, I'm going to still worship God. And he says, no, you're not. You're in prison. <laughs> Get, just keep your gift there. I don't need your gift. I want your heart. I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, do you remember that pastor who ended up dying at the hands of Hitler? I'll just give you a piece of what he wrote. He said, the pious fellowship, the pious are those who think, well, you know, sin can't be among us. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain, so we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are sinners. But it is the grace of the gospel which is, which is so hard for the pious to understand that it confronts us with the truth and says, you are a sinner, a great and desperate sinner. Now come as a sinner that you are, that you are to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you, a sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone. In fact, he's saying this, give me your heart. He goes on, this message is liberation through truth. You can hide nothing from God. The mask that you wear before men will do you no good before Him. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare to be a sinner in the family of God. You can dare. You can be authentic. You can be transparent. You can be vulnerable. Boy, those are threatening thoughts, aren't they? Yeah, it's like me sharing my sin with you and you say, oh, I didn't know he was like that. Worry is like adultery and times you lust and, you know, at times you have hateful thoughts and well, wait a second, we're all sinners. So again, we want to confess and forgive. And then finally, encouragement and availability. Encouragement and availability. You want to have a true fellowship, really grow in this church, encouragement and availability. First Thessalonians says, encourage one another and build up, the, build up one another. These are how we use our words. See, a church should be like a hospital, Right? A church should be like a hospital. You should feel encouraged by one another. It doesn't always happen. Some, we're sinners. But you know, think about what the world has. What does the world present to us? What does the world present to itself? See, their speech is caustic and sarcastic and cynical and biting and critical and demoralizing, isn't it? Isn't that what the world does? Chews you up and spits you out. It's negative, it's cut-downs, it's crude humor. And what does the Bible say? Man, don't let your speech be rotten. Ephesians 4.29. Rotten being like... All right, the best way to describe rotten is a deer that was hit by a car laying out on the side of the road for six days in the hot sun. Yeah, let's have a meal. And yet... The Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. And then he's using the word rotten that would be used for something like that. But what is good for necessary edification. In other words, we speak so we build people up that it might impart grace to the hearer. Not sarcastic, not biting. Like Hebrew says, that we stir one another, uh, one another up for love and good deeds. 
And we give encouraging words that as I speak, I'm careful at what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be a jokester. I find myself sometimes saying sarcastic things to be a jokester. And I want to be an encourager. How's your speech? Are you, are you sarcastic? Are you cynical? Or do you find yourself saying, no, I want to minister grace? Do you try to demean others? Do you gossip? Oh, I was just kidding. Or is it, no, no, no. Uh, sticks and stones hurt, but so do hard words. And, and, I, and I want to, and I don't want to be, I want to be graceful. I want to be graceful. Because Jesus said this in, in uh, Matthew chapter 12, Every idle word men speak will be a, will give a, we will give account of on the day of judgment. Every word. Every word. So, Final few questions. Am I seeking Christian fellowship or, or forsaking it? Oh, you can find it in home groups. By the way, home groups are now changed to care groups. You, you have a list of those in the bulletin. I would encourage you to get to one this, this year. Is it a priority to you? Do you provide in your life an atmosphere where sharing and encouragement is part of your natural that you want to do or do you find yourself cynical and guarding and critical? And the last thing I would say this, am I sensitive and flexible? Because sometimes we get into our patterns and we don't want to get off the road because this is our plan. And yet it's not about programs. Programs should serve people. It's about people. And will you allow God to go like this in your busy schedule so that you can meet a need? Are you flexible and are you sensitive to the needs around you? Let me close with a final illustration. In the fall of the year, Linda, a young woman, was traveling alone up the rutted and rugged highway from Alberta to the Yukon. Linda didn't know you don't travel to Whitehorse alone in a run-down Honda Civic. So she set off where only a four-wheel drive normally ventures. The first evening, she found a room in the mountains near a summit and asked for a 5 a.m. wake-up call so she could get an early start. She couldn't understand why the clerk looked surprised at the request, but as she awoke early in the early morning fog, shrouding the mountaintop, she surely understood. Not wanting to look foolish, she got up and went to breakfast. Two truckers invited Linda to join them, and since the place was so small, she felt, you know, obliged. Where are you headed, one of the truckers asked. Whitehorse. By the way, Whitehorse is right near Skagway, which is right on the way, way up north. In that little Civic? No way. This pass is dangerous in the weather like this. Well, I'm determined to try, was Linda's gusty, if not very, very uninformed response. Then I guess you're, going, you're just going to have to hug, we're just going to have to hug you, the trucker suggested. Linda drew back. There's no way you're going to touch me. No, 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 not like that, the trucker chuckled. We'll put one truck in front of you and one in the back of you. And that way, we'll get you through the mountains. All that foggy morning, Linda followed the two red dots in front of her, knowing that that's where she had to be, knowing also that reassured that there was someone right behind her. See, she needed to be hugged, as they would say. You know what? We need to be hugged as it pertains to this life. And we're going through this very treacherous thing called life. And we want to get and end well, eternity. But we need each other as a word to hug each other. Hey, I'm, walking, I'm watching out for your back. I'm caring for you. I'm concerned about you.
Where does this happen? Shepherding with elders. It happens in small groups, care groups, neighborhood home groups, men's groups, women's groups. I just heard a women's group start up. That's where that happens. Fellowship. That's where it happens. See, get connected. Why? Because you need to be hugged. Because someday you may be on that treacherous road, fog over, and you don't know where you are. You need a brother or sister come along, maybe many of them. Hey, listen, we'll get your back. We'll get your hand. We'll get you out of this. We need each other. And also, you know how this happens? In membership. Getting connected to a body of believers in a formal sense. In fact, at this time, I'd like to have the the four new members that are going to be coming on come up with the elders. And as they come, let me just explain again what membership is. I guess you could say it this way. It's hugging. (laughs) It's accountability. It's connection. It's saying, listen, I'm walking with the Lord right now. Keep me walking with the Lord. And if I find myself off the track, come and see me. Knock on my door. Confront me. I want accountability. I want to be in a fellowship. And I want it in a formal sense so that I'm telling everyone I'm part of this body, this local. I want shepherding. I want you to shepherd me. I want friendship. Like I said, I want fellowship. So that's really what this all is about. Now, we won't read any other passages we've been talking about it for today. But again, I would encourage you if, you, if you're not part of this body, I would strongly encourage you to get connected. Because sometimes people get off the road. And because you're not formally connected, we don't know if you're maybe even part of another group. But again, you need to be part of this body.